When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and welcome to Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast where each week I discuss practical, simple, and scientifically backed ways to help you take back control of your mental health, help others, and ultimately live your happiest life. In this episode today, I am interviewing Dr. Frank Lippmann, who is a world-renowned doctor and leader in functional medicine and practices what he calls good medicine, an appropriate blend of cutting-edge modern medicine with age-old healing techniques from the East. His method is simple. Remove what is harmful and add what is beneficial. Dr. Lippmann is the founder and director of 1111 Wellness Center in New York City and a New York Times best-selling author. Dr. Lippmann is also a fellow South African, and I'm so excited to have him on my podcast. In this episode, we discuss simple solutions to stress, how to overcome seasonal affective disorder, why fake meats like the Impossible Burger are dangerous, how to heal your gut, epigenetics, his own fascinating personal journey that led him to where he is today, dangerous wellness trends, and how to live your happiest and healthiest life. Just before we start, I want to thank everyone again who has left a review, subscribed to this podcast, and shared it on social media with friends and family. Not only does your feedback help me improve each episode, but I love seeing what you are learning and what key takeaways you have. It's so encouraging. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider leaving a review. The cost of this podcast is you sharing and subscribing. One more note before we begin, this interview was recorded remotely, so the audio quality may be a little scratchy in some areas. Now, back to today's episode. Dr. Lipman, it's so fantastic having a fellow South African in the studio with me. I'm very, very, very excited and very honored to interview you. So thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. Okay, so I have listened to, I've been following you for a while and listened to a couple of your podcasts. And one of my favorite was with Dr. Tim Noakes. I was mentioning that to you before we started. And that was very exciting for me because I was at university when he was there. He was actually one of my lecturers. So the things you were speaking about, very close to my heart and everything that you do, very, very close to my heart. So congratulations for all the great stuff that you've achieved. And since you've been in this country, it's, it's wonderful. Thank you so much. Okay, first question I wanted to ask you is, can you tell me how you ended up where you are today doing what you're doing? What got you interested in functional medicine? Right, well, I got into medicine not because I was interested in being a doctor in those days in South Africa, but that's what my parents always assumed I was going to be a doctor. My brother became a doctor, and that's sort of in those days, in the 70s, that's what smart kids said. In South Africa, you became a doctor. And my 
parents had always told me, you know, you're probably not going to want to live in South Africa, so get a degree that you can use anywhere. So it was sort of automatic that I became a doctor. I wasn't really interested in medicine. And then I started getting interested in medicine actually after or during medical school a little bit, but after medical school, I did my residency or my internship at Baraguanath Hospital. Mm-hmm. And then I went to work in Kwandabele. As you know, all white South Africans had to do a stint in the army, and I chose to do my stint in one of the homelands because part of the government's brainwashing of the local people was to show how good they were to them and they were supplying doctors to the area. So during my internship in Baraguanath, which is the biggest hospital in Africa, as you know, mm-hmm. yes. and then my years in Kwandabele, I, I got exposed to uh, Sangomas, traditional healers. Mm. And I noticed then that they were helping some of the patients we weren't helping. So that sort of piqued my interest in alternative stuff because I started realizing that Maybe there's something else than Western medicine. And then after I finished my time in Kwandabele and I was writing exams because I wanted to emigrate to the States, I didn't want to live under apartheid, I spent some time at a practice in Johannesburg with Paul Davis, who had a big, big alternative. Well, it was a practice, but his practice was full of artsy type people in Johannesburg and and they were coming in and they had seen the the one acupuncturist in Joburg and they had seen a homeopath and they were getting better with problems that we in Western medicine couldn't help. You know, they were coming with irritable bowel syndrome and headaches and they would tell me, well, the acupuncture helped or the homeopathy helped. So I went to Paul, the doctor, I said, what's going on here, you know? I've got trained in in, in this medicine and it's a wonderful training. I'm all excited, but I can't treat these patients who are coming in to see me here. They they can't sleep and they can't poop and they're tired and I can't help them yet. They go to the quacks, the homeopaths and the acupuncturists and they're getting helped. Mm -hmm. You know, my eyes started opening up to alternatives for low-grade chronic problems that we in Western medicine were not really able to help. So that's how my interest got peaked. And when I left Johannesburg, Paul gave me a book called The Barefoot Doctor's Manual, which was is sort of basically a Chinese medicine book for lay people. And he said, you know what, you should go check out acupuncture. It's pretty fascinating. You know, he was way ahead of his time. So I got to the States and, you know, in, in, in America, I had to do a residency program. So I had to do three years in internal medicine, which I did. So I got a a job in the South Bronx at Lincoln Hospital in 1983, 1984, because they offered me a green card because they were bringing in foreign doctors because American doctors didn't want to work in these burnt out areas. Wow. So I started at the hospital and started doing internal medicine because that's what the job was. And after a few weeks, I realized I just didn't want to be a doctor in America because the medicine was very different here. You didn't really have time to speak to people. All they were interested in are the blood test results and the x-ray results and then presenting a case to the professor the next morning. There was no human connection. Wow. So I was very disillusioned, and there happened to be an acupuncture clinic attached to the hospital that I'd heard about that was doing drug detox. So I said to my wife, look, I don't want to be a doctor here. I'm going to check out acupuncture. So I walked over to the acupuncture clinic, which was a few blocks away in this burnt-out neighborhood. And 
the acupuncture clinic happened to be attached to the hospital because it was part of the psychiatry department. And I walked in there and uh, I saw the drug addicts, because it was a drug detox, sitting quietly with needles in their ears. And I was very taken aback because those same drug addict type patients I was seeing in the wards and they were, they were very difficult to deal with. They were pulling out their IVs, they were swearing at you, and here they were sitting quietly with needles in their ears. So I thought, I'm going to check this out. And that was the beginning of my journey. I fell in love with acupuncture and then I went on a journey of discovery, learning nutrition, Chinese medicine, meditation, yoga, and so on, and eventually discovered functional medicine a few years later. Oh, wow. What an incredible story. You know, you mentioned all those places that I'm so familiar with, Baraguanas, and, you know, just as you said, working and not wanting to work under the apartheid regime, I qualified in 84 and with my first, my BSc, my honors degree, and I was also working at that time in those areas and just, it was terrible, the pre-apartheid, the apartheid, the transition and the post-apartheid era. And it was just shocking to see just the, I work more on the mental health side in the township areas. And it was just such a, such an education. Honestly, I learned exactly what we shouldn't be doing as humans as you've as you gathered yourself. But that's fascinating that you came to the States and that personal contact was lost. Very interesting. And how you then that drove you to find alternatives. So it really is a mixture of everything, isn't it? No one way works. It's to use everything. If I'm hearing what you're saying. Right. What you realize when you study Western medicine and which is crisis care medicine, so it's really effective at hospital type of patients. But then when you see patients out of the hospital and they're coming with those same type of problems I was seeing at the GP clinic in Johannesburg, you know, they're tired and they can't poop and they got headaches and they're stressed out. Western medicine doesn't have answers for that. And when I went to the Chinese medicine clinic, I saw they were helping these patients. So it was pretty obvious then in 1984 that the future of medicine would be some combination of Chinese medicine or helping these low-grade chronic problems and Western medicine, which is for crisis care. Absolutely true. I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Dr. Derek Summerfield. He's a psychiatrist also from South Africa who doesn't, doesn't use psychotropics and things, but he says the same thing that, you know, how do we go into areas like anywhere, like Cambodia or India or some of the worst parts and, and tell people that this is, you know, we've got the answer with allopathic medicine. You have to look at what's happening culturally and you have to look at everything and mix everything together. So yeah, I'm so excited that you have, you have gone in this direction. One of my favorite travel hacks and one I always recommend is compression socks. My favorite brand is Comrade Socks. Comrade Socks were great for preventing swelling for more comfortable travel, which is so important for me since I travel so much. Comrade Socks are also great for helping speed up muscle recovery after workouts and so much more. I have been wearing Comrade Socks for a while now and I love them. They're extremely comfortable. I love wearing my socks while traveling, walking with my children, while sitting at my desk doing research and podcasting whenever I can. They come in a range of colors and styles that have the look of a casual sock and are a great gift idea for yourself and for others. And right now, my listeners can get 20% off with the code Dr. Leaf at checkout. Just go to www.comradesocks.com forward slash Dr. Leaf. The link will also be in the show notes. 
You say your your method is simple, remove what is harmful and add what is beneficial. I just love that. I mean, this integrative approach takes into account your physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and social well-being. Brilliant. Can you talk a little bit about this? Yeah, I think what I've tried to do over the years, you know, I've been doing this for so long, is how do you deliver this message or how do you educate people into thinking differently about their health? You know, how can I take complicated sort of ideas and and simplify them so people can go, aha, that makes sense. The simplest ways to think about your health is to think about, you know, what are you putting into or onto your body that could be harming you or, you know, and that could be from cosmetics that have lots of chemicals in to certain foods that are creating inflammation in the body to toxic relationships. So anything that could be harming the system as a whole needs to be looked at and removed. And what are you deficient in or what does the body need is the other part of that equation. So do you need more love in your life? Do you need more connection? Do you need more sun? Do you need more nutrients? So, you know, when you simplify it like that and you ask people to look at these things and ask themselves two questions, what could be harming you? What do you need to remove or what do you need to add? So people can relate to that. Wow. And do you find they respond quite well in general? Yeah, I do. I think what I've found is people need to be motivated. And if you can motivate them and inspire them to make changes, or get them to have a subjective feeling of more vitality and and feeling better quickly, then you've got them hooked. When people realize that those aches and pains and tiredness and not sleeping properly and all these symptoms that we associate with aging are not really normal because they just assume they're normal, but when people feel better and realize that these symptoms are not normal, then that motivates them to keep on making those changes where they're going to feel better. So, yes, I do think people respond. I think uh, women, in a way, are a little bit more aware, but men are, in a way, easier to treat because they, they will do, they're less complicated in a way, and, and they make changes, they feel better, and they go, wow, this is, you know, I'm performing better, whether at work, in bed, or wherever, on the sports field, wherever it is. They want to perform better. So when men start performing better, they want to stay like that. So people need to see that they're getting better and feeling better. And then they usually are prepared to keep making those changes. That's incredible. So what you're also teaching people is to take a bit of responsibility, because I know the whole healthcare system in this country is very much one of, as you say, get the test, get the x-ray. It's kind of externalized and our own responsibility isn't always emphasized and it sounds like you do that quite a bit am i correct is that sort of the approach absolutely correct it's essential if people aren't prepared to take charge of their own health then i can't really help them the patients that i do well with are people who partner with me are not expecting me to heal them but expecting me to help them along their path of healing so Yeah, I think the number one thing would be take charge of your own health. You know your body better than anyone else. So a lot of what I'm doing is educating people and teaching people that there is another way that you can feel better, but ultimately you got to make the changes. I can 
give you the information, but if you don't take that information and, and apply it to your life, then it's, there's not much I can do about it. You know, I listen to what you're saying now, uh, Dr. Frank, and I and I get very, very excited because not many doctors speak like you. I mean, I've worked with a medical profession for years and I actually train physicians and it's very, very unusual what I'm hearing you say. So I am thrilled. So thank you for, for taking the approach that you do. It's wonderful. Thank you. I do think it's changing. I think there's more and more, you know, I may be one of the first generation here that are, is doing this, but the functional medicine and, and having a more holistic view of the body is is starting to permeate the next generation of doctors. It's definitely permeating the next uh, the next generation, our kids' generation, oh, millennials, sure. mm-hmm. are, are much more into this. So I think doctors have to change in that. And I think the younger ones are realizing that. You know, it's very difficult to change the system. It's so entrenched and the powers that be are not, there's no motivation for them to really change. But I do think it's changing with the next generation. I totally agree. What are some of the main issues people come to you with? Do you find that there's a trend? Yeah, I think the trend that I see are younger patients getting sicker. So patients that used to have 40 and 50-year-olds coming, the same patients are coming in in their 20s and 30s. So there's a huge epidemic of autoimmune problems, which is often related to the gut. So I see a lot of gut problems. I think gut issues are my thing. Maybe I've just got a name for that. People come from all over with gut problems, and the gut problems often lead to altered microbiome and a leaky gut, what we call a leaky gut, and then leads to all sorts of problems, including autoimmune problems. So we're seeing an epidemic of autoimmune problems. So that's sort of the trend that I'm seeing, these younger patients coming in with these more chronic problems. That's fascinating because that's um, um, I do clinical trials and for mental health, and we we actually seeing we just finished a set of trials now, and I found the millennials had some of them had biological ages that were sort of forty years sometimes over what they actually were, and it's it's and so what you've just said totally rings true with what I'm seeing as well. Incredible. Now you you mentioned gut microbiome, and I wanted to talk to you about that. It was one of the questions: How important is the gut microbiome for mental health, general health? How can you heal and improve gut health? I know it's a massive question. So how would how would you like to tackle the gut microbiome? Well, the gut is to me often the center of people's health. You know, when you just think of it, the gut is your internal protection from the external world. I mean, you've got, same as you have a skin on the outside, you know, your gut lining is really your protection from the external world, from all the food you're eating and everything you're putting into your, you know, eating or drinking, anything that goes into your mouth needs some protective layer to protect you from all the crap that that we have in our food and what we spray our food with and all the chemicals and sugar, et cetera, et cetera. So, so the microbiome I find is not only can present in an altered microbiome and a leaky gut can present not only with digestive problems but with skin rashes and joint pains and very often emotional and mental problems. You know, a lot of anxiety and depression that I see where you treat the gut and sometimes, many times, these patients get better. You know, the gut is called the second brain, for instance. 
one function of the gut, you know, it's, it's called the second brain because all the chemicals and neurotransmitters made in the brain are actually made in the gut as well. In fact, serotonin, which is your happy chemical, more of it is made in your gut than made in your brain. Um, and and there's so that's the first part of this gut being called the second brain. And then there's this direct connection between your gut and your brain and the vagus nerve. So you can have all these neurotransmitters going straight from the gut to the brain and the brain to the gut. And also you can have these byproducts of food breakdown and bacteria in your gut, which actually can go through the gut wall into the bloodstream and to your brain too. So what goes on in your gut is going to affect your whole body, but your brain included. Wow, that's, that's vital information. I'm, I've written a book called Think and Eat Yourself Smart, and I stress that whole gut-brain connection. And it always amazes me when I talk to people how few people actually have made that link, although it is becoming more obvious now and then more people are, like yourself are teaching patients and talking about it. But it's vital to actually educate more people on that. So that they, I'm just so glad that you're doing that. It's, it's fantastic. There's so many questions I want to ask you, but one of the things that, that is that there's so much health and wellness advice out there, and it can be really overwhelming for people and even conflicting information. Where does one start? I mean, if you're just someone, a patient coming to you or a person just wanting to know where to start with this whole process, could you give some advice? Sure. I agree with you. A lot of There is a lot of conflicting information and you get tribes you know you mentioned tim noakes so you get the tim noakes and all the the low carb tribe and they look at whatever they want to look at and then you get the vegans and they look at whatever they want to look at so it, it is complicated i try not to be part of any tribe because i don't think there's one way for everyone i don't think there's one right diet for everyone i think a lot of people do well on a low-carb diet, including myself, but a lot of people do well on a vegan diet too. I mean, there could be problems with both of them. You know, I think as we get older, eating more animal protein is a problem, which the low-carb people are not acknowledging. I think it affects certain longevity gene pathways. So I don't, I'm not attached to any particular tribe or dogma. So I do think it's complicated, but I, I think, a lot of it is, once again, taking charge of your own health. You need to read and try to get educated yourself. I think my book, um, Obviously Biased, How to Be Well, is a really great starting point because it addresses a lot of issues about how to be well. It's not only how you eat, but it's how you move and it's how you sleep and it's how you connect with others and with the earth and it's how you protect yourself from all these chemicals. So there are many factors in wellness. I think I'll plug my book because I think it's mm, a great starting point. How to Be Well is a wonderful starting point if you want to get into to, to wellness because I've made it really simple for people. And I really show how it's these simple things we do on a daily basis, these ordinary things we do that have extraordinary healing effects like taking a walk on the beach or in the forest or being kind to other people, having gratitude, meditating or breathing. So they're these simple things anyone can do that make a huge difference to our health. I don't think you need to be caught up in one particular way. I think it's good to just learn about different ways and see what works for your own body. I love that. I love that answer. And also, I strongly recommend Dr. Lipman's book. We will be putting that in the show notes. It's a fantastic place to start if you feel overwhelmed with your health. It's a really good book. So thank you for that book. It's, it's wonderful. 
When I was growing up, breakfast cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid. But as an adult, you realize that all your favorites were full of sugar and junk that you really shouldn't eat. This episode is sponsored by Magic Spoon, a new company that has recreated your favorite childhood cereals with more protein, less carbs, zero sugar, and nothing artificial. It's also gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, GMO-free, and keto-friendly. Go to magicspoon.com forward slash Dr. Leaf to get a variety pack and try it today. Use the code Dr. Leaf at checkout for free shipping. That's magicspoon.com slash D-R-L-E-A-F. Okay, so... I know you talk a lot about epigenetics and I love that you do that. Could you very briefly describe what that is? And it's pretty much everything you've said already, but it'd be fantastic just to, because it's coming up everywhere in people's conversations. Right. So we were all taught to believe that if your parents had a disease, you were doomed to get that disease. So like I have heart disease in my family. So my father died of a heart attack when he was 54. I have the genes for heart disease, but whether I get heart disease or not, for instance, is determined by how I live my life. And that's basically what epigenetics is saying, that you know how your genes are expressed is determined by what you surround your genes with, how you feed those genes, what your emotions, your, your mental state, the chemicals that you expose them to. So how your genes are expressed is determined by how you live your life. So good. So good. And so important for people to realize that because it takes away that almost fatalistic, I have, I have no control. And it gives people back a level of control over, over their health. Right. M- most of our genes, 98% are malleable. So that, yeah, you can't change your genes for the color of your hair or the color of your eyes or how tall you are. But you can affect your genetic predispositions for diabetes or heart disease or cancer or or most of the chronic diseases, Alzheimer's. For instance, there's an APOE4 gene, which is the, we're calling the Alzheimer gene. You know, I have an APOE3E4 gene, so I have that gene. Once again, whether I get Alzheimer's disease is determined by how I live my life. So you can take charge of how these genes are expressed. Which is so hopeful. I mean, it's really such a hopeful message for people to realize that, you know, there's a, there's a study with Alzheimer's. I'm sure you've, you've read it, um, Dr. Frank, the, it, about if people worry about getting Alzheimer's, which in worries, obviously, of epigenetic factors as well. It's how you're using your mind. You increase your chance of getting Alzheimer's by 63%. And that's something I always tell people. And it's like, you know, because people are really worried because of all the fear mongering around it. And so we should be. But people are made to feel helpless at the same time. I love what you say because you're teaching people take control, take back control, which is really what we try and explain to people with epigenetics. Fantastic. How much does mental health play a part in your practice? Well, I mean, I don't really see it separately, to be quite honest. I love that. So mental health is part of health. I don't really differentiate the two, but I think more and more young people in particular are there seems to be more anxiety today than there was maybe 20 years ago. A lot of people come in and when a lot of people get depressed, they go to a psychiatrist and they get an antidepressant. Now, I'm not saying 
antidepressants says, oh, there's no place for antidepressants. If you've got severe depression, they may be helpful. But for a lot of the mild depression and even moderate depression that I see, most people, if they take charge of their life, they start exercising, they have a good community and support system, their diet improves, there's certain supplements that may be helpful. Now, I'm not saying everyone because, you know, a lot of these issues are complicated, but a lot of times people don't need, most times in my experience, especially when these problems aren't severe, they don't need drugs. They need therapy and they need general support and they need to change their diet and they need to move their bodies and that type of thing. But I'm not saying there's no place for antidepressants, but I do think they're overused mm. because, you know, if you a carpenter or if you see a you know or you're a plumber you see every problem as a plumbing issue so you're a psychiatrist you those are your tools you use your antidepressants i just think a lot of the time people don't need them and those drugs are definitely overused i love your answer i, I totally agree with it 100 percent. such a good answer thank you you wrote a great article on eight ways to lose your winter blues can you share some of these tips and talk about seasonal affective disorder yeah, it's, it's sort of a, an extension of what we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. I think you need to, you know, people are petrified of the sun. Not that they're really scared of the sun in winter, but getting natural light first thing in the morning in particular is really good. Getting some natural light can be helpful. Getting sleep, prioritizing sleep is really important for your immune system. Moving your body, avoiding the foods that deplete your body or inflame your body, in particular sugar and processed foods. The herbs that we use as well to boost people's immune systems. But for the most part, if, if you prioritize sleep, you move your body, you get some sunlight, and you don't put too much crap into your body, those are the best things you can do for your mental health. Brilliant. It's basically what you said from the beginning, remove what's harmful and add what's beneficial. I think it's your sort of slogan, isn't it? Keep it simple. <laughs> basically, yes. Yeah. Everything sort of can I can trace back to, to answering those two questions. Tremendous. Fantastic answers. Could you share some simple stress-relieving tips and techniques that you give your patients? You've kind of answered this already, so you could literally just reinforce what you've said already. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of meditation. I've seen what it's done for me personally and for so many of my patients. So we start getting people into meditation via meditation apps like Calm and Headspace. And we try to hook people up with meditation studios or meditation teachers because I do feel a teacher can be incredibly helpful. Some people don't want to meditate. They, they, they have this false idea that meditation that they can't meditate so we encourage them to do a moving meditation like yoga or tai chi or even encourage breathing techniques so there are many ways to quiet the mind and breathing yoga tai chi may be easier for some people than sitting and learning to meditate so good. That's fantastic. We just released a, an app called Switch, which is based on the techniques and things that are developed in terms of thinking and learning and mind and going, that takes mindfulness and also beyond mindfulness so that you can sustain it. And I've also found that what, it's called Switch. 
switch as in S-W-I-T-C-H. And it, it basically starts, I teach people the basics of meditation in there too, but it's just a couple of minutes. And then I take them beyond so that they have a mind management system in place. And I've done that based on just, you know, you and I talk so much of the same language, but you come at it from a medical angle. I come at it from learning mental health, manage your mind angle. And I have found that absolutely vital. I mean, I use the systems every day, exactly what you're saying. And then I just basically build into that the sustainability. So meditation step one, and then you've got four more steps that then align with how your brain actually builds a response to you building memory and building thinking into your brain. And it's just so everything you're saying is just so absolutely true. So, so many people in this day and age battle to just sit still for five minutes and to breathe. And, and so often if you tell someone, take 10 minutes to meditate when you can't sleep at night, and they, they keep saying, I can't do it. And, and I agree with you. When you, when you teach people a, a simple way of doing it, it, it makes an absolutely huge difference in brain function, body function. So I'm very pleased to hear that you're recommending those kind of, you know, that kind of approach. Absolutely wonderful. I recently discovered Noom while searching for some helpful tools on my personal wellness journey and absolutely love it. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Noom is not a diet. It's a healthy and easy to stick to way of life. You don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom. That is N-O-O-M dot com forward slash Dr. Leaf. Visit Noom.com forward slash Dr. Leaf to start your trial today. That's N-O-O-M dot com forward slash Dr. Leaf. The link will also be in the show notes. What are your thoughts on, this is just an interesting question, I'd like to know, your thoughts on plant protein like the Impossible Burger and the Beyond Burger, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, so I'm not a fan of them. I understand people having a problem with animal protein, although I think I don't necessarily have a problem with animal protein if it's well sourced and if you're not eating too much, especially as you get older. I think the problem I have with those impossible burger types is there's so many chemicals and bad oils, like canola oil in them, that I am definitely not a fan of them. If you want a hamburger, rather get a well-sourced, grass-fed, grass-fed hamburger. So I'm not a fan of chemicalized foods. So that's my take. I'm, you know, rather just have a burger. Now, you know, once again, I, I can understand people wanting to decrease animal protein and especially what we've done to the animal protein in this day and age. I think that's a big problem and the amount we eat. But I don't think the solution is chemicalized foods. I mean, there's so many chemicals and bad oils in those new plant proteins that I have a problem with them. I mean, I don't have a problem with certain plant proteins, but if it's been manipulated and chemicalized, I, that's a problem to me. I couldn't agree with you more. Go for the good grass-fed, no chemicals, etc. Fantastic. Okay. What are some health and wellness trends that you're excited about and ones that have you maybe a little concerned? Well, the ones that have me concerned are these, these impossible burger types. I don't think those are good. Although there's something I can I understand the, the demand for them, I'm, I'm, I don't really um, encourage it. 
Um, trends that are helpful, I think more and more people are meditating, which is great. I think so, you know, when I see what's going on, uh, saunas, infrared saunas, I think are great. I see that trend, which I really like. The general trend towards wellness and, and being aware of spending more time in nature, not pushing your body so hard, being aware of corporate agendas in food and big egg. And, and the chemicals they put in food. I, so I think the trend with younger people is generally towards a more natural, for lack of a better word, way of life where you're not pushing yourself as hard and you're not putting as much crap into your body and you, you know, doing more restorative type of exercises like yoga. I think all of those are good trends. I do think the millennials are trending in the right direction, questioning our generation and looking for healthier alternatives. So I think in general, it's good. What are the other trends that I'm worried about? I just think, not that I'm worried, I think people just need to loosen up about, you know, people get so obsessed about certain things. So being obsessed about an issue, whether it's, let's take these sleep trackers, which I think can be a good thing, but when you get too obsessed over it and you start worrying about it, it's actually work for you. I just think you need to be smart about things. And I do think there's a trend towards acknowledging ancient wisdom, which is a lot of what I'm sort of practicing. I like the trends. You know, do you need to be careful? I, you know, you need just to become aware and see what works for you rather than be careful. I think people need to explore and I encourage people to see how they feel when they do certain things. I love that. I love your answer. I totally agree with everything you've said. Okay, any last comments, pieces of advice, tips you'd like to share? You know, you've said so much fantastic stuff, maybe just a couple of words of wisdom or a closing statement. Yeah, I think people are aware that diet and exercise are important. There's not one diet that works for everyone. There's not one exercise that works for everyone. In fact, Moving your body throughout the day is probably more important than going to the gym for an hour and then sitting on your butt all day. Mm. I think you need to prioritize sleep. I think that's really important. And talking about trends, which I think are very helpful, I'm a big proponent of not only what you eat, but when you eat and trying to restrict the time you eat into sort of an eight-hour time period. So I'm a big fan of time-restricted eating or intermittent fasting. I see a lot of metabolic problems improve radically with people eating in time-restricted time, eight hours, for instance. So I'm a big proponent of fasting for not everyone, but for most people. Apart from the metabolic effects of fasting, you tend to eat less. And I think as we get older, we, we need to move more and eat less. So I... Those would be my tips. Wonderful. That's absolutely fantastic. Move more, eat less, prioritize sleep, and deal with your stress. I love that. I love that. Absolutely amazing. Okay, so where can people find out more about you and your work and your practice? Just go to Dr. Frank Lipman, drfranklipman.com. My latest book is really a summation of my life work in a way made very simple for people. It's called How to Be Well. My practice is in New York City. I'm sure there's a link on my website to my practice. And that's it. 
Well, we'll put everything in the show notes that you've just said now, and I strongly recommend that those of you listening get this book. It's a fantastic book. Uh, Dr. Frank Lipman, you have been amazing. It's been such an honor getting to speak to you, and you're doing an incredible work out there and having a massive influence in the world of medicine and health, which is so necessary in this day and age. You know, Honestly, your, your advice has been fantastic, and I'm very, very excited to hear you talk the way that you do. And thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule just to share your wisdom with us really wonderful thank you and keep up the good work you're doing thank you the best part is that you're from south africa (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for your time you've been amazing thank you i hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful if you want more tips and help with managing anxiety depression and mental health be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter, where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.